Hello, fellow time travellers. I'm Wendy Padbury, and you're listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Enjoy your travels. Travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the often overbearing task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt, and today we have a not overbearing at all three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also have our intermediate fan, one who has seen several episodes, but has not has read little of the book series up to this point. And this time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. I'm back. I'm here. I just ate a ton of pizza. Yes. He survived Black Friday and has many harrowing tales to tell. Amazingly, oh, yes. And finally, as you can hear, there's our semi-novice fan who's seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Allison. Happy holidays. Indeed. Before we get to talking about the book, we'd like to tell you about our Patreon page, available at patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Depending on the amount you give per month, you receive any number of goodies, including a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book. Since we know Target books are now so plentiful, they're being used as building materials by the Peace Corps. <laughs> as a gift for supporting us, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. Speaking of which, in addition to thanking our original three patrons, namely Bart Lamy, Tony Bengelsdorf, and Rick Taylor, we'd like to welcome our new patron, Jay Barry. So thank you very much for giving us your support, Jay, and thank you, Woo! gentlemen. Thank Thanks, you. y'all. We have money. Not much, though. But that's fine, <laughs> because right. it's enough to keep us on the air, and that's the important no, thing. Ain't got money. We're still in love with you, honey. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, here's the thing. I may actually, after last last time swearing and saying we weren't doing pod, Podbean, we're not doing Oh, Podbean. Podbean. Like, wait, wait, I missed yeah. that breakdown. Yeah. We're not doing Podbean <laughs> okay. ever. Yes. We can now kind of afford mm. Podbean, so maybe we will be doing Podbean. I like the idea that there's a person at Podbeam who was just tasked with 70 hours a week listening to all the podcasts that are not on Podbeam, mm-hmm. and anyone who renounces or blasphemes <laughs> Podbeam in any way is then just banned for life. This isn't a fantasy in my oh, mind. Oh, okay. Well, I was about to say, <laughs> because this sounds like it was what it was like when I was a comic book critic. That happened every once in a while. And now, let's kick off our sixth season as well as the sixth season of the show, which is hard to say, mm. with Ian Martyr's novelization of The Dominators. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who The Dominators, adapted by Ian Martyr from the scripts by Mervyn Eastman and Henry Lincoln, that aired from 8.10.68 to 9.7.68, published by Target Books in April 1984. As of this recording in December 2018, this title is currently out of print, but is available as an unabridged audiobook, 126 pages. Something I forgot to tell you in the script is that... This was one of the first books that I got as part of my uh, little subscription when I uh, did the John Fitton getting six books in publication order in a row thing Ah. back in the 80s. Um, Marco Polo, remember I told you that story, that was the first one. And The Dominators was the second. So you can imagine that by the time I got the second book, I was like, is this subscription really worth it? (laughs) Yes. The Columbia House. Here is the book. And you'll see from the cover that it is the most probably gay cover ever of one of the mid-80s. It's all pastels. And uh, Rago on the cover looks very kind of like, you know, well, I was reading it, it's like all gray and blah and harsh. Oh, really? It's kind of desaturated. But that, that like soft lavendery purple and the soft blues, yeah, it's also this very phallic... uh, Oh, that's the drill. Exactly. I think that's the drill. Oh, well, it's the drill beside one of the quarks. Well, either way. Yeah. Very phallic. The itty-bitty quarks. The terrifying quarks. It's yeah. an exceptionally ugly cover in terms of... It's all the ugliest 70s stuff. There's a lot of ugly 70s stuff. But this oh, yeah. sort of ugly face, ugly body trend. Mm-hmm. And I guess 
they were on the cutting edge of it, maybe. If, oh, I, yeah. I don't know how much this actually looks like the actor. I know this is an 80, 80s book, It right? does. That that actually looks like the actor, amazingly. But, but the, um, yeah, the aesthetic of it is... I remember as a child like looking at some 70s sci-fi stuff and feeling like that aesthetic so repulsive mm-hmm. and, and gross. And fortunately, um, his hairstyle has been lost to history, I think. Yes, it's like true. a weird <laughs> Elvis. It is. It is. <laughs> That's sort of 50s Betty Page's harsh, mm-hmm. straight across bang, but like a weird 70s well, thing on it. Yeah. Um, now that we've spent some time on the cover, <laughs> let's yes. talk about the book itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's, no, let's talk about the story. Listeners will note... When I did my uh, fast facts, that I did not say adapted from the scripts by Norman Ashby, because it turns out that Norman Ashby is the pseudonym for two writers we're already familiar with, Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln, okay. who co-created the Yeti. They were approached by producer. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, robots are there. Okay. Robots are us. They were approached by producer Peter Bryant to create a new villain that might rival the Daleks in popularity, <laughs> which is why they came up with the Quarks. The writers knew that one of the things that appeals about the Daleks is they don't look like they could have anyone inside them. Which is hard to do, by the way. I sat inside a Dalek at Chicago TARDIS and holy shit. Oh, that's terribly claustrophobic. Oh, God, was it ever. So they designed the quarks to be tiny, but just as deadly. The quarks did have someone inside them. Several someones, in fact. All of them children. Which may be why the (laughs) voice provided by Sheila Grant makes them sound so much like children. In fact, I'd have to play you some of the quirk voice because it sounds it's not terrifying in the least but then the troubles began not the ones in ireland i mean the ones Uh. with the script as the script started coming in an episode at a time bryant was not pleased with the satirical tone that the writers were taking oh no They'd essentially decided to move away from adventure stories and bash what they saw as the impractical pacifism of the then-current hippie movement by portraying the Dulcians, to borrow a phrase, as peaceful to the point of indolence. (laughs) They were asked to make changes early on, but proved reluctant to do so. By the time they'd gotten the first four episodes, the production team also felt the story was too devoid of actual content. Not anything was happening. And so they took it upon themselves. This is amazing. Totally legitimate critique, yeah. Right. They took it upon themselves to cancel the sixth episode and have script editor Derek Sherwin rewrite the fifth to provide a conclusion. I can think of at least four other Doctor Who stories I wish the production teams had done that with. I really can. This didn't sit well at all with the writers, who then wanted the story to go out under the name, uh, the pseudonym Norman Ashby, which they came up with by using the names of their fathers-in-law. That wasn't the end of it, unfortunately. The writers had just begun work on a new Yeti story called Laird of McCrimmon, which Mm. would have brought Jamie back to his native time, and it would have been his last story, in fact. But both the writers and the BBC had separately started looking into marketing possibilities for the Quarks, without getting permission from one another. <clears throat> and it started a fight over who owned the actual copyright to them because it wasn't as clear-cut as with the Daleks. Uh-huh. It got so heated at one point that the writers considered taking legal action to keep the Dominators from being aired. Gentlemen, why didn't you hire a better lawyer? <laughs> Christ. Needless to say, the dispute effectively killed their working relationship with Doctor Who, which is why it's only recently we've seen the great intelligence return now that both authors have died. Mm. They were right about the potential commercial appear of the Quarks, as it turned out. The Quarks went on to appear in a few comics back in the 1960s, and have since turned up in both licensed uh, the licensed comic series and in the audios. Apparently a rebel faction of the Quarks turned against the Dominators and went off on their own. And in one parallel universe that has no Daleks, the Quarks go on to become the big bad of that universe. <laughs> which is really hard to believe. <laughs> But instead of any of those exciting stories, instead of any of those exciting stories, we've got this one. So did they expect that the Quarks would be the new fearsome villains like the Daleks, not the Dominators themselves? Yeah, because they realized that the Cybermen were kind of doing it, but you can't have Cybermen 24-7, so let's do Quarks, or not. Just have more bad robots. Exactly. But they're being controlled by someone else, and that's not that interesting. No. They, they, By, they've done own. that several times. Yeah, on their own they might have been interesting. Oh, one more thing. 
Because this episode lost, the story lost an episode, the next story gains one, which leads to an interesting time for one and all. I wish I could tell you about it, Allison, but you won't be here. Is that why this one ends on a cliffhanger? Yes. Okay. Because the next episode resolves that cliffhanger, but you've got an entire episode that is essentially made with no budget, with existing sets, and with whatever they can cobble together. So lots of tunnels and maybe a beach. No. No. Nope. Not even that. They can't afford to go on location. They can't, can't afford tunnels? No. Thought they built the tunnels no. in the studio. No, it's a white void. Mm. Which actually that works work. really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very surreal episode and it really sets up the story to come because the story to come is essentially about dreams and imagination and such. So it's really quite good. It's like that whole uh, issue of... Uh... Whatchamacallit. Uh, Whatchamacallit. Well, the, <laughs> the uh, all-Canadian Marvel superhero team. Oh, Alpha Flight. There's a whole, epi- there's a whole issue Flight. of Alpha Flight that's a fight in a, snow- in a blizzard. Yes. So that's, I remember that. <laughs> yes, but it actually works, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. You don't see the characters. You just see the, ooh, ah, ooh. Yes. I mean, you see the, uh, the speech balloons, and it's like, yep, that's Saskatchewan, all right. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> all right. They filmed it in a white <clears throat> void. Yes, exactly. They had no budget. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That first episode of The Mind Robber is kind of like the first episode of The Space Museum, but followed by a good story. I was so afraid in here <laughs> that they had ended up back at The Space Museum. Oh, wow. At one point, when they were yeah, in the museum, like, oh no, way. they're going to find the Robert E. Lee again. And yeah. it's going to be some kind of horrible, recursive, well, Groundhog Day nightmare. They're kind of plot-wise there mm. again, aren't they? So... Yeah. Dalton, do you want to read the back cover for us? It's been a while. I would ask, are you willing to? Not do you want to. Oh, I'm always willing. The doctor remembers Dolkus from a previous visit as a civilized and peaceful place. But times have changed, and his second trip is not quite the holiday he was expecting. The Dulcians themselves are more reluctant than ever to engage in acts of violence. The so-called Island of Death, once used as an atomic testing site, has served as a dire warning to generations of Dulcians of the horrifying consequences of warfare. But an alien race prepares to take advantage of their pacifism. The whole planet and its passive inhabitants are threatened with complete annihilation, and no one, it seems, is going to lift a finger to stop the evil dominators and their unquestioning robot slaves. (laughs) Yes, of course not. Of course they aren't. Dull kiss. Dull kiss. That kind of tells you everything you need to know about this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So where do we start? I actually... I hadn't reread the blurb since I read the book, and I didn't get the sense of the Dominators taking advantage of the pacifism of the inhabitants of the planet. Mm-hmm. They just had geological resources they wanted. They didn't care who was living there as long as they could defeat them. I, mm-hmm. I got the impression it was kind of immaterial to them whether or not they fought back. They were just yeah. going to destroy them if they needed and enslave them if it was handy. Mm-hmm. Oh, as they said, they were like, ah, they're not useful to us. We're just going to take the resources and they're going to die. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, you know, like exactly. they're just like whatever. They're just uh, body body count. Yeah, it's almost as if, and I I think this was the original intention. The writers want us to care more about the Dulcians than we really should, or we should care more about the fact, you know, kind of like the um the uh, Thals on Scaro, who are too pacifistic to fight back against the Daleks until they're given a reason to do so. Yeah. And here the Dulcians are given a reason to do so, and they still don't do it. And you're like, oh, well, that's the hippie movement for you. There you but go. It's, you. But they're not hippies. They're bureaucrats. No. Yeah, they are. That's why I didn't even get it as a critique of pacifism mm-hmm. until it was shoved down my throat during the council meeting. Yeah. Because I thought the idea was that they were caught in political gridlock and they were sort of lackadaisical more than they were hippies. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I didn't take it as much... more of, idle than pacifistic. Right. Because. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't take it as much as a critique on pacifism as like they wanted everyone to think their way. Mm-hmm. Even Cully was like, nobody thinks outside of the box. Nobody goes against the grain to like do anything. That was why it was more... Yeah. Yeah, everyone just kind of going along with the system instead of bucking it for their own good. And society brainwashing you to the point that even Colin at one point starts slipping back into those. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's not in the televised version. Mm-hmm. It's something Ian Martyr adds to it when Cully is uh, trapped down in the bunker with Jamie and mm-hmm. Jamie has to snap him out of it. He's not like that in the televised version. Okay. And I think it's Martyr looking at this and saying, what's interesting here? Yeah. Ah, 
the idea that society brainwashes us. Yeah. That mis- Because the Dominators are acting under the same thing, right? Yeah. Whatever their culture is, and it sounds very monolithic, their culture is all about dominating and taking over and uh, forcing their will on weaker races and ten galaxies wide. Yeah. And that's about it. And even, even uh, Rago and Toba's relationship mm-hmm. always being that of the subordinate and the, the higher up being, yeah. you know, don't question my authority. I gave you an order. Do it exactly. I was expecting something to happen there, and like always, there being mm. a double cross or yeah. backstab, but it didn't really. Yeah, happen. it seems like the script is setting. In fact, I thought this when I rewatched it the other night before reading the book, and then of course I fell asleep during it twice. <laughs> the story bores Fair me enough. to tears. I'll tell you that much already. I cannot stand watching the televised version. That being said. You get this sense that Rago is going to, or Rago is going, Rago. Rago, the Rago. is going to be, let's call Our the whole thing Rago. Rago. Yes. Ragu. Let's call him Ragu. Yes, yes. Ragu and Tuba. Ragu, yeah. um, you get the sense in watching the televised version that he's more sensible. Mm-hmm. And that somehow he's going to say, oh, we shouldn't be doing this to these people. But then that's all blown apart when he goes to the Capitol and takes out, what's his name? The one Dulcian that has any sort of backbone. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Who still gets stuck on terms of protocol. He's supposedly the warrior amongst them, and he's like, oh, you shouldn't be talking to our chairman that way. Boom. He's dead. Yeah. See, normally I find political and social stuff very fun and exciting in stories like this, and I had a lot of trouble staying awake for the entire book. Oh, yeah. Well, there's not much nuance here. Mm-mm. That's the difficulty. And I think... That is not a problem with Martyr. No. It's a problem with the script. No, I was going to say, Martyr, for, for for what he has to work with, he has some really great descriptions. He has some really good uh, character building. And, and Zoe, I think, is like, this is her first story, really, as yeah. a companion. And I love her already. Yeah. This is so, great. Yeah, so it's like, Martyr is doing what he can with what's there, but there's not a whole lot interesting going on no. yeah, I feel like other writers have been able to inject a lot more humor and thoughtfulness into dull stories and this one but he tried to show off for the first couple of paragraphs first couple of pages and then after that phoned it in and I was, does I was interested in Zoe when she was introduced in the last one and I thought here there was very little personality to anyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that makes sense because probably the writers are not used to her yet either. Martyr does a lot more with her, in fact. He makes her a lot starkier. In fact, there's that one line where they're doing the tunnel, the drilling, when they're drilling, and the doctor says, Zoe, the drilling stopped, and she's in the tunnel, and she says, so the tunneling, if they're not careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's a lot more starkiness than we yeah. get from Zoe yeah. for a little while. So he does use the characters, the established characters, well. Mm-hmm. But there's not much there with all the supporting cast. As a matter of fact, I thought the two of you were going to tell me immediately you had trouble keeping track of everybody. Well, oh, yeah. I, I actually quickly stopped no. trying. Okay. It wasn't that's much given. trouble. I just did not care. Oh, okay. Collie <laughs> was basically the only one that stood apart, but that's because he's throughout pretty yeah. much the whole story. The Collium man. Is that the Collium? Yeah. Yeah. Because he brings the water. <laughs> all, 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 all the all the other uh, you know minor characters, yeah, it's like their names are interchangeable. They don't have much personality. They they appear for a, a chapter or a couple paragraphs and disappear again, and, and they like, die horrifically. Yeah, so yeah. it's like whatever. <clears throat> I don't care about them so much. So it's yeah. pretty dark and sadistic, especially more towards the beginning, but in a very uninteresting way. I was troubled <laughs> at how. I did not react to it at all. Oh. There's some moments of horror early on. They find what what looks like the bodies, and it actually turns out to be a different situation. Like, the bodies are burned by radiation. There's mm-hmm. some, oh, yeah. There, yeah. And then they're being um, sort of steam bath sanitized yes. from radiation and all of that, and they're afraid they're going to steam to death and suffocate yes. and not be able to breathe. Um, that whole but, process with the Dominators where they... Had, adhere them to, yes, the, to the wall yeah. yeah there there have been so many other writers who have done a good job of putting us in the point of view of the person experiencing that and feeling their fear or their determination mm-hmm. and i felt like it was fairly brutal and uninteresting yeah it kind of fell very flat that we we didn't 
feel in the position of the characters. We didn't feel their peril mm -hmm. or their <clears throat> horror. Just that, oh, there's something really upsetting that's gone on here that I don't care about. And that's and maybe the issue is me. <laughs> no, I no, keep no. bringing up that phrase. I but. think you're right. I think you're right. And I think, again, it's the source material because that's, again, in Martyr injecting into this material much worse things than are on screen. Now, admittedly, the, the death of the first trio on screen is one of the most disturbing moments I've ever seen in Doctor Who. I think it's because of whatever effect they use. They basically use a still photo of the actress in question, mm -hmm. and they do some sort of warping effect over her face mm -hmm. so that you can still see her hair and her outline, but it's got this weird kind of weird mm. morphing effect and you're like oh my god that's the idea of melting flesh it gives yeah. that impression well and casual brutality can be very chilling yeah but here it just felt casual from the writer as well yeah yeah not just because the they're villains. not all that interesting not just from the villains but also to the heroes they also seem yeah. kind of casual about the whole thing and i'm interested in what you said about that um the potential horror of that radiation bath which is played for laughs on screen. Hmm. In fact, we don't get to see it from the character's eyes. We get to see it from outside. And then when they're, they open it up, you know, they're falling out. And go, ah, ah. It's almost like a Marx Brothers routine. Hmm. And it's funny. And here, yeah, you're getting it from the point of view of the three in the bath and realizing, oh my God, they could be killed by this yeah. and by total accident. And those dummies? Oh, interesting thing about those dummies. They're played on screen by actual actors. They actually hired two people to get into radiation, you know, radiation mutant makeup and sit there as if they were mannequins. Mm. That's like, that's both brilliant and disturbing at the same time. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Looking more disturbing than mannequins, yeah. And it doesn't communicate to the page at all. Mm -hmm. It just really doesn't. Which is really a shame because I think Martyr's really trying... He changes years to Anno's, for instance, so at least there's some alien language going on, yeah. so there's that. Zoe's wearing a slacks and a t-shirt, which she did not do on screen, so that would have been interesting. Um, lots of changes, but what else? Lots of typos in the version that, uh, the electronic version we got. Oh, yeah. Sometimes two and three to a page where it was... You always get a few of those in the scan, but it's to the point where sometimes I didn't understand what the sentence was supposed to communicate. Right. That was so. I, I like your suggestion that the person who scanned this in and did the OCR, like it wasn't even worth taking a few hours <laughs> to read it through and eliminate those errors that one always gets. Yeah. They maybe they did, or they just weren't. They couldn't bring themselves to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, because God. Seriously, though. Well, for example, one don't point out is that sometimes Coley is Coley and sometimes Coley is Kelly. Right, and exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that I, I found um, some of Jamie's Scottish speak veering over into found poetry because it was so <laughs> difficult yeah. to understand. But it's like that on the printed page, too. Martyr is going out of his way to render Yeah, I thought so. that was just you know, him going hog wall with the dialogue. And I swore to God, if I saw the word Sazanax one more time, I was going to run screaming. <laughs> and I, it's like, Jesus Wait, like, Christ. Here's an example. Don't worry, <clears throat> Coley said gaily. Nothing will go wrong. Not on Nilka's. Father wouldn't allow it. Why don't you for on with your father, Zoe asked. Maybe, 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 why don't you get on with your father? I think but, like, so. I don't even know what's meant to be communicated. Why don't there. you fur on? Why don't, yes. No, that's the Tennessee accent. Why don't you fur on? Oh, for, F -O -R. for, 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 on. for, on. Yeah. Fur on. That's a fur on there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the, the idea of the museum on that island was. Can, can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. But that, once again, that should can be we? chilling and kind of elegantly beautiful and horrifying, yes. and it was not. It's not. Well, it's like, why why would you put a museum talking about the atrocities of, of atomic warfare on an island that's irradiated? <laughs> like, where no one can go to see and, well, Yeah, like, what are you doing, taking field trips where everyone's in... in... Well, I talked about video. I, I, took, yes. I thought it more of, like, sculptural... Um, a monument, I guess, more than a museum. Yeah, I guess, but, but it's a museum, and yeah. it's got a working gun in it, for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah, it did what? get weird. At first I thought it was something 
that was a monument, but you're right. Then there were exhibits in a way. Yeah, that and they, they talked about people coming to the island to, to go there. And it's like, well, what? But Why? they're not supposed to because it's the island of death. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense and it falls apart even quicker than some of these things do when we examine them generally. Yeah. And I will say that the martyr probably could have stepped in a little bit as the author and said, okay, the reason for this is this, or mm-hmm. done something. But this isn't very long after his novelization of Enemy of the World. And as we read in that one, yeah, he didn't even bother putting in some of the stuff that needed to be there. Yeah. There, So I'm glad that the things that are on screen are here. Yeah. And that we do have a few extras. Yeah. Since we are still being... a Accused on iTunes of being a very negative podcast and anti Doctor Who. Can you believe this? We have three. We have three. As of this recording, we have three reviews on iTunes. One's really positive. The other says, "Oh, I had to stop listening to it because it was so negative." That the other one's negative. And the other one actually apes the username of the one that said the negative things and said, "Yeah, I felt the same way." And gives it and brought, brings our ratings down. It's like thanks. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to be negative about this story, though, because I, I dare anybody to find tension in this story. Well, I really do. I don't remember the name of the David Tennant episode where the uh, start, story starts off in the crystal, sealed crystal pleasure palace on the planet with the was it isotonic sun or something. Midnight. Remember? And then, yeah, Don is the companion, and they go out on the outing in yes, the vehicle. But I love that story. I, say, I love that one, too, but they do a great job with making it chilling that you cannot go outside there. There's this sealed facility, and there are sealed vehicles, but you mm-hmm. absolutely cannot leave. And they absolutely sell it. And there's there's none of that kind of tension in here. There is no. some when they're afraid that they've been exposed to the radiation, but... Mm-hmm. But not quite enough. It's not that there are no ideas here. It's just you. I don't notice them in retrospect. Yeah, they're they're a bit muddled. You can tell that Hazeman and Lincoln just really aren't as invested in the story as they were in the Eddie stories because we rather enjoyed those. We enjoyed the Abominable Snowman. We enjoyed Web of Fear. By and we enjoyed the novelizations by Terrence Dix. There was some mystery about what's going on here. Are there actually monsters? Are they robots? Who is controlling them? What is controlling mm-hmm. them? How much do they have sort of their own program and generalized orders? And here it's like, oh, they're they're sadists yeah. um, who experience uh, was we're told experience lust, enjoy, and destruction simultaneously while they have dry lips. They're controlling <laughs> no. the robots. The robots are eliminating their enemies. There's nothing kind of creepy or weird or interesting it's no, not no. you can't have a plot device like that but there you have to have something additional well, to build tension with it that and everything's laid bare from the very start they then, land they yeah. take the radiation from the island there's no twist they have the quarks and but, we know what the threat is well it's, even even the quarks that are supposed to be menacing and terrifying and you know carrying out all of their their bad deeds or whatever Jamie and Cully just like there's a whole scene at the end of the book that like I could hear Yakety Sax playing yeah, in the background. Gonna, like if they're knocking them down yeah. like things. Yeah. How, yeah. how are they that big and bad if they're just like hopping around in yeah. the sand and like tripping them up and mm-hmm. blindfolding them and yeah. it's like they're, yeah. what? And you can't do a really good story where there's no twist, there's no subterfuge. It's just this, this villain does is so unstoppable that they they do not have to have elaborate plans or things like that. They're here to take over. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. We didn't get that sense of unstoppableness and of overwhelming force. Uh They can be relatively easily outwitted. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of them. I thought one of the the few kind of chilling moments is we're told that one of... uh, Jamie kills one of the quarks on the screen. One of the... The icons tracking them goes red, but there are dozens of green yeah. ones around. Like, okay, yeah. that that's chilling that's there, funny. but then it's kind of abandoned. Yeah, and the idea in the later you know stories that they're going to go rebel against the Dominators and become their own society, almost as strong as the Daleks, beggars the imagination, and it really takes some imagination to get there on the basis of how they're shown here. I mean, seriously, they're not much of a threat. They're I mean, these little cute. stubby legs. <laughs> yes. Like, what? And these arms, they're at two different levels. And like the lovingly described legs of the Dominators themselves that are long and strict and 
Long, yeah. fit, strong, muscular. Yeah. There were there were quite a few adjectives. As to opposed to their the, leathery faces uh, and their dry lips and, and graven birds bees. Yeah, they just don't moisturize. Well, but you know, here we have um, you know, for a moment Toba was paralyzed with astonishment and rage. Then he hunched behind the semicircle of quarks and rapped out a string of hysterical orders. All units, total destruction, utter uh, uh, annihilation, death, death, death. <laughs> yes. And that's the level of creativity that I think. Yeah. symbolizes the book because he's not having a sufficiently entertaining breakdown for the breakdown itself to be an interesting element mm -hmm. or character study. It's not that psychologically interesting. Mm -hmm. He can't actually accomplish death, death, death. No. He doesn't have a subtle plan for death, death, death. It's just death, death, death. It's just a, an angry guy yelling. Yeah. That's all the story is, essentially. Yeah, is. and the death, death, death can be stopped so easily. Oh, so easily. <laughs> In fact, it's kind of surprising the Doctor does fiddles with them as long as he does. I thought there would be a twist where the part of the strategy of the Dominators was to make you think you were easily defeating them, but they actually... But sort of lull you into yeah. a soft sense of security, but they actually have, you know, a oh. second wave or something like that. But I'm sorry. Well, they, they do have a whole... And that's something else that gets me, and then I'll get back to what I was going to say about the Doctor. We, in the televised version, see that the, that one ship is part of a huge fleet. Yeah. And we know that fleet's there. The whole point of destroying Dulcus is to get enough power for the whole fleet. What's happened to the whole fleet once that ship gets destroyed by the volcanic acti activity? Well, it's not even a volcanic activity, is it? It's, it's one of the bombs. It's their own bomb. It's their bomb. seed. Yeah. Their nuclear seed bomb. And it's like, okay, what's the aftermath of this? They're not going to stay out there in space thinking, oh, we lost a ship. Ah, we'll just go on. No. They that's would retaliate. Gonna, that's going to bring the wrath of the entire Dominator fleet down on Dulcus. And I don't think anyone, including the writers, thought of that. Yeah. But, Once again, they could yeah. have done something more sort of menacing. We have like more of a Soviet World War II strategy of, we're just going to keep throwing waves of soldiers at you mm -hmm. until you run out of bullets to fire at them, this idea that they're not very well trained, they're not very well armed, but there are a lot of them. Yeah. They could have this yeah. concept of, yes, these robots yeah. aren't very good, but we have an endless supply of them, and we don't mind throwing them at you for years and exactly. years and years, but now they run out. Which means Dulcus is toast, because those other ships are going to have quarks. Mm -hmm. Tons of them. And the only thing that defeated the Dominators was the Doctor thinking of this seed and using it against the, the Dominator ship. There's nothing else to defeat them with. I think except even, the quarks being easy, easily tripped. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even, even the idea of the Dominators like being in deep space or whatever and then getting that low on fuel... That yeah. you have to, like, stop at the... What? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, <laughs> you're going into the local gas station. Oh, got a gas up before we yeah. take over Galaxy. I just need, like, a dollar fifty on one, please. Like, it's not even a whole gallon. <laughs> yeah. I just need, like, just a little something to get me on. Yeah. Like, that whole idea yeah. is like, what? Yeah. What? It, yeah, and I think that might be some of the satirical elements that the production team didn't like because I don't see satire in this story. I'm wondering if it was a lot broader. Yeah. The I would love some humor her. in this story. Well, yeah. actually, there is. There, there is, is but it's the Doctor and Jamie, yeah. as it always is, yeah. and Zoe. Especially the Doctor's line to Jamie is like, oh, you just need to act stupid. You can do that. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. Whereas, I'll say this about both doc the Doctor and Jamie, and this goes back to the point I was going to make earlier. The Doctor comes close to being depicted as the force of nature that he later will become. Hmm. Just every once in a while, Martyr's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to call him a Time Lord once, I noticed. Mm. But he's also going to say, okay, Rago seems to get it. He knows, or Toba. Mm -hmm. One of them is looking in the Doctor's eyes and saying, this guy seems like he's an idiot. There's something about the eyes. Yeah, there's something deeper there. Later yeah. Doctors will be described that same way. The Tom mm. Baker Doctor, mm. someone says... I don't think he's as stupid as he seems, and the response is, my dear, no one is as stupid as he seems. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's overdoing it. Yeah. yeah. And Peter Davison, in his last story, um, up the character says, you have the eyes of a prattling... No, you have the uh, the mouth of a prattling jack and apes, but your eyes, they tell a different story. Mm. And the doctor just smiles and walks away. 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, and you get some of that when you're getting this whole thing of him looking in Troughton's eyes and seeing there's intelligence there. Maybe I should be worried. But it's not played out in the story. Mm-hmm. No. And and the the fact that they go through all that testing... <laughs> like, wh- the, the test to prove their intelligence is literally a child's toy. Yeah. Like, made by Fisher-Price. Yeah. That but I played with, with as a kid. But with electrons. Well, well, that yeah. seemed more interesting. But, the doctor said, no, no, it's too easy. We shouldn't actually accomplish it. But then that didn't really go anywhere. No. Mm-hmm. And it did... It, how is there not, like, a second level of that test? Yeah. How is there not more? Like, that's it? Yes. And why would they decide that the Doctor and Jamie are unsuitable for slave mm-hmm. labor because of their lack of intelligence? When you think, yeah, what you want is unintelligent slaves who are going to do what you want. Yeah. Like, you just need a meat sack to lift stuff. Yeah. Precisely. They should... Sending them off on their own and saying, don't come anywhere near us, it's like, what? You're asking for trouble. Yeah, exactly. Because they're going to come back and say, oh, feed us, we're hungry. <laughs> if they were actually, yeah. you know, having serious problems as they're supposedly doing. And it also... It, it goes against the whole first scene with the the first group that they kill. Mm-hmm. Those people were running up, like, trying to talk to them, and they just shoot them dead. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, well, that's killed before you. Well, but those were the natives. But you're right. That they should be testing to see if they are mm-hmm. compatible to be slaves. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? You kill them, but then... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's lots of just weird indiscrepancies and, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, if these guys are big, bad dominators that own, you know, we control nine galaxies and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. how did you control nine galaxies Is this if this is your whole process? Yeah. And remember when I said in the kitchen earlier, if they had the internet back in 1968, can you imagine <laughs> just what we're going through right now with all these stupid YouTubers and commentators saying, oh, Doctor Who's dying because the the scripts are bad and the ratings are falling and yada yada. If they had gotten the Dominators as their first story back in 1968, <laughs> yeah. I can just imagine they'd be like, oh, God, we waited for yeah. this. At least we got the repeat of the Daleks in between, which is lovely because they actually make reference to it. It's on screen. <laughs> I love that moment. But we do have some entertainment in the form of lines such as... Coley glanced with grudging admiration at the brawny Highlander's bulging calves as he strained <laughs> upwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Well, <laughs> with having... the light of battle in his eyes, Jamie led the way. They wriggled cautiously through the maze of the line. There's a lot of wriggling. Uh, There's I, a lot of I've wriggling. got a whole selection here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he whipped a gleaming dirk out of its sheath inside his sock and rapidly slipped the sheeting from one of the side of the mattress. <laughs> Coley watched in baffled silence as he cut a long, narrow strip from one side. Mm-hmm. And where was Rago's face? Was creaking at yes. one point? Like leather? It's creaking? Yes. Like a Klingon battle? It really needs to moisturize. Yeah. Yes. We're told repeatedly how dry it's he is. It's creaking? Of all things? It's just bizarre. Well, I mean, because we're told that the attention of Toba and the Quarks was totally absorbed in the screaming, throbbing drill. Who oh, didn't have time is. to get his Burt's Bees. <laughs> all that screaming and throbbing as Jamie started wriggling his way towards the unsuspecting robot. Jamie wriggles a lot. Yes, he does. <laughs> what it is. Like I said, there is some entertainment value. Oh, that reminds me. One of your misprints from the OCR uh, ended up in the line... When he turned round again, the otters were looking at him as if expecting some word of comfort or advice. You know, like <laughs> otters do. <laughs> They're always needing you, those damn otters. <laughs> but honestly, his vast hands clenching and unclenching with an ominous squeaking. When is a squeak ever ominous? Well, I guess if you got rats in I your house, I guess it could be like you know, swinging of a rope at an execution or something <laughs> like that. But squeaking. I just I, I I don't know how a human hand squeaks or well, so he's got hand. gloves on in the um, yeah. in the book, but still, they're mm-hmm. squeaking. They don't they don't moisturize anything. Huh. They worked like beavers in the hot, stifling atmosphere of the cramped shelter, while beavers. Cully lay on the mound and kept up a brave repartee of encouragement. There's one line. This is how Carter entertains himself. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He slips them by the censors. There's one line where he they say something like, we are the dominators, and the doctor says, and so you are, under his breath or something like that. And I was trying to find it because it was definitely Martyr getting that in under the radar. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've got, 
You've got people called dominators. You've got to make some sort of uh, fun out of it since there's no fun to be had in this story. I think though. he could have gotten by with a, a second joke as well. He didn't have to confine himself to a single joke. Yeah. Repeated well, seven times. I know, exactly. And you notice that it's interesting that these dominators are stupid. They examine Jamie... And they say, well, should we repeat the examination? No, no it's no, going to no, be identical. Be, yes, the same. Yes. It's like, except the doctor's going to have two hearts, like the Dulcians. Yeah. And they're going to find other things, but they don't. Kind of like last time when he got examined on the wheel in space, and she was like, you know, there's some oddities in your test. And, oh, no, no, that's fine. Don't worry about it. So, what about this problem with the Cybermen? Yeah. God. There isn't a lot to say about this, is there? Not good stuff, anyway. No. What did we think of the regulars, then? We need we need to talk about the regulars. We need to talk about Zoe. Um, Dalton, you actually had read the last book, and we yeah. heard what you said about her there. there. What do you think about her here? I uh, I like her. I, I hope that this keeps up. It seemed like she had a lot to do in this one. It felt like her expertise and her, her intelligence was played for good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of her... The bits that she did talk about, she she pointed out about sandstone. She 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 used her knowledge in yeah. in helpful ways, as opposed to just being like a body there to get kidnapped and scream. She yeah. screams, but just she she does have some other things to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. like she actually helps dig the tunnel. And, yeah, she does. And yeah, so and she has that brilliant exchange with the doctor, where she's talking about well, they must use this sort of power and it has this sort of thrust and this sort mm-hmm. of da-da-da-da. And he says, oh, and I imagine it's pretty powerful, too. And she's like, well, yeah, but, oh, well, if you don't want me to help you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of like, come on. like Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely little moment. You have to wonder why the doctor's making fun of her at that point. You also have to wonder why he's deliberately acting like a pack led from like, Next Generation. You know, that, that race of aliens are like, we're smart. We like smart people. We like to go. <laughs> And they all look like Gene Roddenberry, mm. which is the thing that got me. And it's like, he's acting like a pack lad. And it's like, yeah. why is he trying to make it seem like there's a more intelligent group of aliens on this planet elsewhere, which is, of course, going to lead them to go elsewhere and probably kill people elsewhere. Doctor, why mm. would you do this? It doesn't make sense on the plot level. It could be another amusing joke to have aliens who feel like they're an intellectually superior super race and then clearly are not but they're not quite dumb enough for that joke yeah americans <laughs> well maybe some americans yeah well we'd be the dominators in this in this that's for sure but we're sure as hell not the dulcians well but not not with that sort of open declaration of brutality without ideology it doesn't even work that, as american political satire no that's true that's true yeah, it doesn't work as on the level of satire. It's barely interesting as an adventure story because it's not really an adventure story. Mm-hmm. It's the the stakes aren't high enough. <clears throat> we're, we're told that Dulcus is going to be exploded for its energy, and you're like, oh, good, well, fine. That I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. I mean, sure, they're all innocent people, but they seem all boring. Take Cully with you to a planet where he can actually enjoy himself. <laughs> And fuck off out of it. Tony's a brutal man. I really am. I really am. Especially Tell us how you really like feel. This. I hate the story. <laughs> I really do. Oh my god. In fact, I hadn't realized how much I hated this story until I reread this book and remembered, oh my god, I hate this story. But we love the fluffy kitty who just walked out <laughs> under the yes. couch. Yes. Well, he's not a dominator at all. He's well, a dulcet. He's a dulcet. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Talk about murderous ultrasound quantum. Uh, this, kitty could def- <laughs> this kitty could definitely take a quark out with Eve. With a he well probably placed, could. Well-placed slash a quark. If my, if my cat Frisky could kill a quark, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he would be. Probably could. So, um, yes. What else? The, uh, the little pods they ride around in. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Yes. I want that for real. A little oh, beehive yes. shaped one. Yeah, it just yeah. like basically just like takes off. <laughs> flies and then lands. Yeah, like, it does. It would be nice. And it's very easily subverted off course. <laughs> yep. It's a self-driving car. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a self-driving car. So there's that, except when you see it on screen, it's a bit like a Flash Gordon 
special effects, so it's like, okay. Yeah. That's unfortunate. It is 1968, guys. You can do better than this. I will say this. The Sonic Screwdriver. Yes. This, I would say, is the true first appearance of the Sonic Screwdriver. Mm. Because we saw it in Fury from the Deep, but Victor Pemberton didn't even call it by mm -hmm. its proper name. Here, it's not only called by its name, it's used. And not only does it get used, it's almost like it's 2005 all of a sudden. It's being used at that kind of level of yeah, Christodian yeah. yeah. usefulness. Yeah. And the sound it makes is described yes. very well. So. Exactly. Um, so there's that at least. So is that true of the original episode, or is that it, retroactive when it was written in the 80s? Uh, I, think I, fell, I think I fell asleep during that point. Um, I do remember waking up to a sound, so I think that had him cutting through. So he was cutting through with something, so I don't know if it was the song Screwdriver or not. I'm sure our listeners can tell us, really, because I know you're out there. I met so many of you at Chicago TARDIS, by the way, and thank you for coming up and introducing yourselves, but I'm going to ask you the same question here I asked you there. Why don't you talk to us more? <laughs> yes. So please, talk to us some more. Um, we don't bite. When you do things wrong. What? I said we don't bite. We really don't, unless you ask. <laughs> then yeah, and less about said about that the better. Goodness. Everyone's too busy glancing with grudging admiration at your brawny bulging calves. Yeah, and my vast hands clenching and unclenching with an ominous squeaking <laughs> from all the lube on them. Um, oh my. Yeah. Well, that one did not make it past yeah, the It's a dominator, all right. Um, he doesn't quite render that joke where the doctor's telling Jamie how long he's got to hold the bomb, and Zoe is counting down and saying, mm. six, seven, eight, doctor, and he throws <laughs> it. But it, that's better on screen, but there are a few things that are better, such as, you know, Jamie doesn't have the idiot ball quite so much in this one. Though I will, I, I, do, I did want to kill him when he threw Cully's aim off. Because I was like, uh, God, Jamie, dude, we could have been an episode down by now. That could have been it. Yeah, but now you got to get stuck in this shelter, and that's going to be another episode. <laughs> and on, and on, and Jamie, on. we have a budget. <laughs> exactly. At least Martyr um, compresses that. He goes from having them spend half an episode realizing they're running out of air to saying, oh, we're almost out of air. We need to get out of <laughs> here. So there's that He's learned how to compress this stuff. I did. Uh, I did like the little exchange with Jamie and Cully about being hungry, and and Cully finding the little, I guess, protein bar, yes. nutrient bar. It's a Twinkie. Well, it's a waxy it like Twinkie. Twinkie. <laughs> it's yes. like eating wax lips for for sustenance. Like, <laughs> That's what the dominators uh, need for their uh, for their dry for their skin. skin. Yeah. Yes. Waxy power bar. It's like waxy it has everything you need, but it's not going to be pleasant to eat. <laughs> no. No, that doesn't look it on screen. It actually looks like a huge sponge. It's probably sponge cake. Yeah. But it didn't look very tasty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, let's so, see. Anything else we can say about this? <laughs> Apart from the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger, which will get resolved yes. in Mind Robber. These story these books are starting to kind of link together quite nicely. Though the next one's gonna break that link, as it turns out. <laughs> I'm done with this book. <laughs> I, I was done with it a long time ago. Yeah. I'm just I'm just looking through the notes real quick to see if there's anything else that I had any vague interest in. I dare in. you to find anything of interest. <laughs> Read the naughty bits again. Because it's Ian Martyr, and even somebody... A screaming, throbbing drill. We actually... Yeah, exactly. We had um, a comment on Facebook earlier tonight when I posted that we were going to uh, be recording the Dominators tonight and announcing a brand new patron. Guess which one is more exciting to us? Yes. And Hannah Woolbright responded, nothing. I mean, nothing is more exciting than the Dominators. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know if she meant that I think that was or... some humor. Yeah, that's a bit of humor, all right. Hmm. Oh, my Lord, God in heaven. Um, There's no need for us to pad it out to six episodes. No. Move along now. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to do you know the same thing that they did. We can cut it down. The, oh, sorry, uh, the doctor lip reading. Yes. That was a, 
interesting. Yes. And, and, and I liked that, but I was like, again, wh- when did when did he acquire this skill, and why hasn't he used it before? And maybe it's the TARDIS. Maybe. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe. Hmm. It could be. It could be that the TARDIS actually allows that to happen. I, in fact, I rewatched a Capaldi episode recently. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name of it because there's so many I can't remember the names of. It's the one with the ship that is buried at the bottom of a lake. And some archaeologists, not archaeologists, but they're part of a team from a company go down. And one of the team members is deaf, mm-hmm. so she signs. And the doctor says, oh, no, I can understand sign. And then he realizes he can't because he deleted that from the TARDIS databank so he could learn semaphore. Oh, and he was like, does anyone have an assortment of flags, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that's where it's coming from. That's a good, that's a good story, though. Because otherwise, you look at it and you say, they're, they're speaking an alien language. Is he lip-reading the alien language? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Either way, I thought, that, that's a good trick. It is. It is. <laughs> that's useful. That would be useful in at least six other Doctor Who stories I can think of. <laughs> but there you go. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, just one last thing is the, the line at the end about preferring the eggs poached. Did you get that? Because I didn't well, understand it. It talks about the bomb being egg-shaped. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh. the, that's, that's it. That's it's, it. It's, that's the bomb referred to as the egg, I thought, two or three times. That's such a Bond line. Yes. It's such a it, corny it, dad joke. I think joke. I might have yes. groaned out loud, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's like, you know, Colin Baker later killing a villain, and he's a cook. As it turns out, he says, you're just desserts. And it's like, oh my god, that's so... Uh, yeah, Bondian. that was... Yeah, that was the kind of yeah. offhand... It's like, weird for... It's weird for Trouton to say... It's weird yeah. for any doctor to say anything yeah. like that. Well, I guess it's time for Goodreads, isn't it? <clears throat> As we always do, <laughs> let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with their own readings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured, when we get to an upcoming book, simply read the book and write a post in our discussion group on Goodreads before the post deadline. You may get your review read out loud here. We did ha- have a comment in the... Um, <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> <coughs> We did have a comment in that group tonight from our good friend Tom Hodden, but it was essentially saying, can you guys figure out the story? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. had no will to figure out the story. No. I did nor, not want to put that level of effort into it. And nor did Goodreads, because listen to this. The average rating for this story out of five stars is 3.21. Which Hard is, for Goodreads, but still way too high. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say so. Here are some sample reviews. John Bellingham gives it four stars and says the Dominators has always been one of my favorite Doctor Who serials, and I've never understood the perceived fan wisdom that suggests it is a clunker. Okay. Ian Martyr does a good job of adapting it into novelization form, making the Dominators themselves even more sadistic. The quirks are given added menace and extra little asides, and character developments are also included in the adaptation. Less successful, however, is Martyr's rendering of the ending, which is dramatic and slick in the TV serial, oh, bless your heart, but which ends up being protracted and underwhelming in the novelization. I wouldn't say so. I think we finally had an ending that was worthwhile in one of these books. It didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel rushed. Well. Except from trying to get away from the volcano. Well, it, it, let me, let me rephrase that. It didn't feel like they were trying to wrap things up too quickly. It it took, it, it. It felt like a good arc. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Christian Petri, or Petri, gives it two stars, saying, again, a weak story saved by Ian Martyr. Well, I'm not sure I'd go that I mean, far. So far with the books I've read in the Target range, certain items have improved them from the television story. In this case, it was a good writer who brought more life to the story. The story is still basic and not much action. Another race arrives on a planet for their own needs. You have the black and white few by each race, whatever that means. One believing they are the superior race, the other not wanting to fight because of their past. Of course, it's up to the Doctor's companions and those who go against the grain to save the day. What Martyr does with the story is expand the world more. What? To give more life to the world of Dalkas. How? <laughs> this makes it feel that it is more to just some set than some set pieces. I think that's what they were trying to say. <clears throat> the story still falls flat as the plot and situations are pre-bland. This also makes it 
if you are not a Doctor Who fan, you won't miss with skipping this book. Thank you. Normally this would fall under a one-star book, but Ian Martyr's writing brings it up a notch. Well, or two, because he gave it three stars. I no, actually like the literal reading of You Won't Miss mm. by skipping this book. You won't miss anything at all if you skip it. And finally, Nick gives it three stars and says, I think the late Ian Martyr did a good job with bad material in this novelization. Other than the design of the robots, the villains, and their mechanical servants were derivative and annoying, and the nominal good aliens were such a brain-dead stereotype of pacifistic bureaucrats that it was annoying, still the resulting book was more readable than a scenario for it might have suggested. For it might have suggested. I'm not a big fan of The Second Doctor, mostly because I haven't seen much of the Trouton episodes, but watching the recent reanimated recreation of his first story caused me to finally pick this one up and read it. I'm so sorry. Pick something better up. <laughs> really, there are much better ones. So, panelists. Allison, what, what would you give this? I mean, I want to give it like a .5, which seems harsh because there's no... <laughs> well, there's no ill will here. No, there is. You know, sometimes you know, someone just throws in some phenomenally misogynistic joke or something like that. Uh, or There's nothing like that in here that just sort of... <laughs> Where ill will deserves ill will in return or something. Right. It just seems very lazy and, and uninteresting. Mm -hmm. And I did not care that it did not make any sense. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go with point five, and I feel kind of badly about it, but not badly enough to change my behavior. Okay. We would so, not want you to change your behavior. Point five is. No, don't, don't change your behavior. Uh, yeah, I, I feel kind of the same way. I'm, I'm, I would say, like, for me, this is probably, like, a two. Ian, Ian mm. Martyr does a good job. Again, like a lot of the, the reviews that, that we selected mm -hmm. said, he does a good job with what's there. His writing style is sufficient. It's good. There's good descriptions and things like that. But there's not a whole lot to work with. The story itself is pretty flat, boring, and a waste of time. Yes. So, um... Yeah, two stars for this one. I was I was glad to see that Zoe kind of came into her own as a companion. I was mm -hmm. glad that she wasn't just a screaming female. So there was at least that. Um, there were some good comedy bits with the Doctor and Jamie and Zoe and some of the other characters. But yeah, overall, it's pretty flat. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, you don't really need to read this. It's yeah, not <laughs> you're not missing much. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to remember what I gave Enemy of the World, and I think I may have given that a two. I don't remember. But. I don't either, <laughs> but whatever this is, whatever that was, this should be 0.5 higher. Okay. Mainly because it's, it's Ian Martyr, and even Batty and Martyr, well, no, Batty and Martyr is Batty and Martyr, period. This isn't Batty and Martyr, it's actually pretty decent Ian Martyr doing his best with a bad script. Yeah. That being said, yeah, this is... We've seen so much better done with bad scripts. Though. We have. Uh -huh. We have. We have seen scripts that were transformed by writers in the past. And what Ian Martyr's trying to do... In fact, we've seen Ian Martyr do that before mm -hmm. with uh, Reign of Terror, which was just an amazing book compared to the story. Yeah. And that's because he felt free to add to it. Same thing with The Rescue. Here, he doesn't feel free to add much, and what he does add kind of makes a little more sense but then it just leaves you hanging and wanting more it baits it's a bait and switch yeah. you're baited by things thinking oh there's going to be more than there was on television and there isn't yeah. so that makes me less inclined to give it anything high so i'm going to give it a two yeah. yeah i think so i think without completely changing the whole story you know yeah that's... well this is a story that's there's so little there to begin with they probably would have done better to change the whole story. <laughs> but there you go. Well, thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we will be doing our Christmas special for the podcast with our discussion of Peter Ling's novel of his own script, The Mind Rotter, featuring special guest panelist Stephen Fodor of the Too Much Scrolling podcast. In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all in words with no spaces like crazy person. You can also visit our relatively pristine subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes. Give it a thumbs up or comment on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor forward slash videos. And yes, 
Emperor Daleks commutes are still there. The first 14 episodes of me bitching and whining as I'm stuck in traffic on I-55. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, we're at DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We may now be on Podbean, because Podbean. We, can we can afford it. <laughs> if all else fails, you email us at DWTargetBC at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. Just over an hour. Hey, that was one of our shortest episodes. <laughs> yeah, so you're not creaking. Dry, thin-lipped here. You're not creaking and squeaking ominously, as a dominator does. Well, I was going to play you what the quarks sound like. Oh, yes. The description of them was... was it said, like, mechanical children or something like that. Yes, Which and we didn't really creepier. talk about that. We didn't talk about the creepiness of what that might sound like, but they're not creepy, huh? No. Overall, they're not very menacing. If this was coming at me, I would, yeah. I would just yeah. laugh at it. I mean, I would die, but... I, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a mini very... fridge with two little legs. Well, it's not very dynamic. No. Okay. no. It really isn't. Shall we go?